This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? What a great day it is to be worshiping with you this morning. Our first hymn, hymn 37, We, your people, praise you. Days of wonder, days of beauty, days of rapture filled with light. That may not have been our experience this week, but may it be our experience as we come together as the people of God and have our hearts and minds transformed. And as we sing, we stand. Hymn 37. Let us begin our worship by reading responsively the litany of invitation and confession. All are welcome in this sacred space, believers and scoffers, faithful and faithless. God invites all to this time apart from the business of life. God hears our prayers even when we do not speak them. God is present in our world even when we are unaware. God has blessed us abundantly. We give thanks for God's liberality. And yet we harbor the fear of scarcity. We confess that we often have attitudes not expressed in graceful generosity. And we ask God for forgiveness. Sisters and brothers, God meets us where we are. God has forgiven us. Let us not be afraid to look into the mirrors of our own lives, for where there is confession, there also is God's forgiveness. Let us lift our voices in praise to God. 
welcome. Hey. Welcome again to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist. During the summer, we enjoy the intimacy and presence of our history here in our chapel uh, that was the church's original sanctuary. And so as we worship today, we welcome especially those of you who are guests and are visiting with us today. There is on the edge of the order of service a welcome card. Uh, if you complete that and drop it in the offering plate when it's passed, it helps me connect name and face with you. And also for anyone who would have a prayer request, it's an honor for our staff and for our deacons to pray for you by name and by need every week. Well, as we gather today, we'll be hearing uh, Daniel Hedrick, our associate pastor, preach. And the uh, texts that he has selected all speak about the space in between of the people of God who are always on pilgrimage. As he uh, preaches on that, we'll open our hearts to hear the word. And as we listen to the text read, we will hear these as well. Uh, the sermon is about between nostalgia and hope. And I don't know about you, but that's often where my life gets stuck, between how I imagine the past and how I think about the future. And so as you look at your life and your family's life and our congregation's life, we open our lives and our hearts to God. Welcome. Moses summons the community to remember, a reading from the book of Deuteronomy. But take care and watch yourselves closely, so as neither to forget the things that your eyes have seen, nor to let them slip from your mind all the days of your life, but make them known to your children and your children's children of how you once stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when the Lord said to me, Assemble the people for me, and I will let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me as long as they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children also. So you approached, you stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain was blazing up to the very heavens, shrouded in dark clouds, and then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, which he charged you to observe, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord charged me at that time to teach you statutes and ordinances for you to observe into the land that you are about to cross into and to occupy here ends the first lesson. Let us say our prayers. O oh God, for the gift of this day, we are grateful. And for the gift of breath, that last breath that we just took, we give thanks for. For it comes as a gift from your hand, and without that breath, we could not survive. We pray that we be given eyes to see, like the brown leaves that have fallen on the floor of the deck this morning. 
The brown leaves say that change is on the way. And we are for change, as long as it is not we who have to change. And yet, the texts of the book say that the folk of God have always had to live with the change of liminal times, the in-between of who we were and who we are becoming. We are not a people who are on our way to Hajj this week, as our Muslim brothers and sisters are, and yet we are a people on pilgrimage. We are not folk who leverage great political power and a human, and yet as we do bring to this place, we bring our broken hearts and our passionate hearts about the way things are in the world. We have already read and prayed the headlines, and we do not bury our head in the sand. Again, this week, we see that word abuse as it is described the pain of what has happened in sacred spaces and to sacred people. Our hearts break and ache because bombs have fallen this week and a school bus full of children were killed, as children are always the collateral damage of war. Our hearts break about guns everywhere, but thank God for moms who are mad and dads who are mad and are taking stands to do something about safety. We feel that the world is more fragile than we would like it to be. And yet, with all of these things, with our broken and passionate hearts, we punctuate our prayers as the psalmists often did with a sigh. And yet, among all of this, the school bell rings and the yellow bus runs, and we enter into a community of learning once again. And oh yeah, we even need to learn to pray. And so, O oh God, teach us to pray, as Jesus taught his disciples long ago by praying boldly, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Apostle Paul summons the church in Ephesus to unity. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a, li lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. 
experience the second lesson. Children, if you'll join me at the front. Lots of friends this morning. Good morning. Oh, we've got some down here over here. Do you like the comments? All right. So is everybody getting settled into school, into your school year? Raise your hand if you um, are enjoying your time at school and enjoying your new teachers. Good, 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 good. Well, I, did you know that I'm a teacher also during the school week? I teach fourth grade, and I love teaching. And that's kind of my calling in life. I had another job before I became a teacher. That's it, too. I'm not in Ava's class. Ava's in fourth grade, too. We're a different, we're, we go to different school. But, um, so, um, so God has called me, has called me to be a teacher. And I love what I do at my school. And then who we are school um, is a unified thing, and your school has a team, and your school has a mascot. Um, likes to go to your school. Do you know the mascot for your school? What's your mask? The wolf pack and the owl. Mine is the eagle. Do you have a mascot at your school too? What's the mascot at your school, Olive? A hat? Go hat. Go hat. Go eagle. Go owl. Go wolverine. Go hat. Awesome. <laughs> okay. So did you know that at our schools, even though we are um, unified behind our team, and everybody's calling, and if you, raise your hand if you play on a team, on a soccer team, or a baseball, t-ball team, or a soccer team, okay. You get, listen, you play on a soccer team too? Okay, so when we play games at our school, or if we're on our soccer team, um, everybody on the team kind of has the same goal for the team, right? You want to help your team you want to help your team. But did you know that everybody on the team has a special place on the team and has a special position on the team and a kind of a calling to be that position? So um, everybody is worthy, even though the team is working together for maybe a win or to have a good game and to be nice to your teammates and to your opponents, that everybody's got a place on that team. Just at your school, you have a, you're very worthy of being at your school, and everybody at your school, your new friends and uh, friends that you've had for a long time, it's our job to, um, as our friends, to help them, right? And help God, yes, because did you know that when you are gentle and you are kind at your school to other people, um, you're showing them that they are very worthy and that they are God's children also, okay? So let us do what we can this week in our classrooms, on the playground, at lunch, on our sports team, to be 
kind and gentle so that everybody feels as though that they are a part. I forgot my soccer ball. I'll have to borrow yours sometime. All right, so did you know at our church, we are unified, and everybody here is very worthy, and we are unified, and that God is our leader. So what we want to do is take what we are and the worth that we have as people and the calling that we have as children and as adults to make our world a better place because that's what God would want us to do. All right, can you pray with me? Dear God, thank you for making us and making each child and each person in our world as worthy as being your children and help us to make the world a better place. Amen. I will meet you by the door. Thank you, Miss Mary Lou. Uh, most of you know Kurt Thomas. Uh, God gave us the gift of Kurt and his family, Sabrina, and his children. About half of these children up here were yours, I think. And uh, what a gift God gave us in, uh, in giving us this family. Uh, we've called on him to uh, help us sing a song today. It's in your hymnal. And he is going to sing the stanzas, which will be the first stanza and the third stanza only. But then all of us will join in and sing on the refrain for each, uh, each of the, the verses. Um, uh, what else does that? We're going to remain seated while we sing this. We won't be standing. And uh, last year, uh, Keith Walker did a survey of the congregation of what hymns would be your favorite that you'd want to sing. Nancy Davis said that Ken Davis's favorite song was this song. And so we're going to sing it uh, giving thanks for the gift of Ken and Nancy. Also, when we did a survey a few years ago about getting a new hymnal, and we debated maybe a Presbyterian hymnal or a United Church of Christ hymnal or other kinds of hymnal, several of you said, well, frankly, it doesn't matter what kind of hymnal it is as long as it has in the garden. And so we will sing that song responsively with Kurt's help. Kurt, lead us in singing. I came to the garden alone While the dew was still on Voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God disclosing and
would stay in the garden with him. But the night around me has fallen, and he bids me go through the voice of one. His voice to me is calling, and he draws me near and he clasps me and he tells me I am his own, and the joy he shows as he Thank you, Kurt, for the gift you are and the gift you bring. The scripture lesson is about those who walk and talk with Jesus. Let's stand together for the reading of the gospel lesson. Jesus calls a community of disciples, a reading from the gospel according to Mark. Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men, and they too followed Jesus. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Imagine with me uh, a restaurant that is just so-so. It's one of those diners you pass on the interstate, and you're just stopping long enough to get a hamburger so you can continue driving. And the waiter has that glazed look in his eyes of boredom, maybe of despair. And then imagine while the food is being served, they crank up the jukebox. And they start playing a song from an important time in your past. Now, have you got that in your mind yet? Now, you play the tape of the music you're hearing. I'm not going to mess with that, okay? But I'll tell you what I'm hearing. It's Radiohead's fake plastic trees. One person got that. And he's preaching sermon right now. But that's okay, that's mine. You can't take that either. 
If, if I ever go into a restaurant and it's playing that, or literally any other song, which can be called alternative rock from the 1990s, it's like somebody has waved a magic wand in the air. Suddenly, that food I wasn't too excited about, it's the best tasting food I've ever had. I mean, you could take a plate of boiled okra and play Radiohead, <laughs> and suddenly it's butter poached lobster. Suddenly, the waiter is hilarious and filled with joy and can do no wrong. Suddenly, my dinner companions are the most charming people imaginable. Well, if it's my wife, she's always the most charming. You always are. You, you get that. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Maybe it's a certain song or a, a type of music. Maybe it's biscuits and gravy. Maybe it's an old TV show. I mean, I, I could walk into James's office, and, and he could be about to launch into some serious talk. And if I just wave an image of the Lone Ranger in front of James... I'd see a little tear well up in his eyes. <laughs> Off he goes. And I can leave you like that for a while, can't I? I come back 30 minutes later, you're still in that place. I get that. You know what that is? It's nostalgia. Nostalgia is a wave of sentimentality about a past that is beyond recovery a wave of sentimentality about a past that is beyond recovery. The nostalgia can only get you so far. It can't take you to tomorrow. You'll still have heartburn or an upset stomach after you leave that diner, no matter how much the past had washed over you. I've been living there lately in nostalgia, but I've also been living in hope. I've been going through these old pinnacles, these old newsletters of the church, and going through them year by year. I've loved it, seeing how the church has changed through the decades, seeing moments of courage and beauty, but you know, also seeing some pain. All of that there, it peeks through. And the church is always oscillating between nostalgia and hope. And we need hope, because Lord knows there's plenty of folks who are telling us Church just ain't going to make it. Seems like every week there's a new survey out saying that folks aren't going to church like they used to be. The church is in a bit of an identity crisis, if you listen to them. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 that you heard read this morning is about an identity crisis in the life of the people of God. Deuteronomy was written centuries after Moses had died. And it arose out of a great calamity. And the calamity was the destruction of Israel. The calamity was exile to Babylon. And God had promised that the Davidic line would continue forever. But it seemed like everybody had been wiped out. And there were folks saying, the church isn't going to make it. Israel isn't going to make it. Disaster. Disaster, they said. And the Vision Task Force had met for several months, and they'd even sent out a survey, but they'd been perplexed what to do with the results, all of the complaining and anxiety, so they, they threw away the survey. And the Deuteronomists envisioned a way forward that was rooted in the story of Israel's past. And out of that storied past came Moses, the great prophet, mediator of God's very presence, 
the lawgiver, and Moses said, don't forget what you've seen or heard, how you once stood before the Lord. Don't forget. My, 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 that, that resonates with me. Now, I can play that all day long. Because I remember an experience I had of God's presence so profound some years ago that it might make you cry if I told you about it. There I was out in the driveway. Jenny says, I've heard that one a thousand times. And you've heard it too. I, I like that one so much I try to preach it every few months just long enough where folks may have forgotten about it. But you know the thing about nostalgia is you can't get back to the past. You can just play the tape over and over again, and that's fine. But there is no going back. And Moses said to the people that if they learned the statutes and ordinances, then everything would be okay. They might be able to make Israel great again if they just followed the law. And so the people of God found their hope and fidelity to statutes and ordinances, and that carried them forward for a time. But the statutes and ordinances, well, they were written in a different time, weren't they? One of the statutes said that eunuchs couldn't enter the temple. And that worked for a while when they needed to maintain a clear identity in the midst of an identity crisis. But when they went into exile and some of their sons and daughters had to become eunuchs for the royal Babylonian court, suddenly the statutes and ordinances weren't so life-giving. It constrained the people of God. And so Isaiah, the prophet, would say that the eunuchs who keep Sabbath will have an everlasting name. Even foreigners who observe Sabbath, they'll go to God's holy mountain. And the church, which clings to the old statutes and ordinances, despite the testimony of the Holy Spirit, may be living in nostalgia. It cannot move forward until it accepts those in who might challenge the system with a greater inclusivity and a greater ecumenism. The more Israel got beyond its narrow confines, the more radical and the more poetic its theology became, the more open Israel became. I think about how open Jesus was. He called men and women to be disciples who lacked education and pedigree who lacked the marks of distinction that would have counted as a big deal in the Roman Empire. And Jesus called them into community. That call story you heard in the Gospel in Mark, it's about a community. Did you notice? Jesus called Simon and Andrew. He called James and John. Because Jesus knew something about the human condition Jesus knew that we could not walk through life completely alone. You know, I meet folks all the time who say, well, I don't put much stock in church because it hurt me when I was a child. I get that. I really get that. Because the church has been the source of pain. The church has sinned, and the church needs to be honest about that. We were doing this thing called pub theology the other night in Midtown. We gather at a pub and talk about God. And I asked the group whether the church helps or hinders them in experiencing the presence of God, whether the church helps or hinders. And many gave their answers, but a newcomer, newcomer to that group said, 
that the church had never helped them, it had just hindered. The church had been a place of hellfire and brimstone. Everybody outside the church was lost. So he left, and he never came back. And I nodded my head because I knew what he was talking about. And I bet many of you do too. The church has caused pain. You heard Allison Rowland, our newly ordained deacon last Sunday, for those of you who were here, she said that she had been disappointed by church in her past over and over again. And yet, there she knelt, seeking ordination, because truth-telling punctures the myth of nostalgia. And her presence, despite her pain, is hope. And you heard Graham who was raised in this church, rooted in our unique story, showing fidelity to our community. And what a beautiful thing hope is. We, we have so much to learn from Graham and Allison, and I suspect they have so much to learn from you. You might tell them when you see them of your hope, of your faith, and your strength. You might tell them how this community called Northside Drive Baptist Church has walked with you through the years. And one day you might hear from the younger generation how some of the old statutes and ordinances need to be revised. Notice they didn't throw them out. They were revised in the light of the Holy Spirit. Well, there's one more thing I need to tell you, and I'll sit down. If the church cannot live alone on nostalgia, it may be true that the church cannot live alone on just the fumes of hope either. Because nostalgia is about what happened yesterday, and hope is about what's going to happen tomorrow. But we are called to be faithful to this one thing that lies in between nostalgia and hope, and that thing is called today. I think today is the most powerful word in the English language. I think today is where we locate hope in God. You know, one day Jesus went home to church. And you better believe Jesus loved that church. He'd experienced God's presence in it. His family was there. His church family was there at that synagogue in Nazareth. And in Luke chapter 4, the gospel writer tells us that Jesus got up there and read from the prophet Isaiah. And he read to them the wondrous words from the past that they all knew so well. I bet they could say it by heart. And a wave of sentimentality about a past that is beyond recovery swept over the entire congregation. And he said, He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up that big scroll of Isaiah, and I bet you somebody in the back yelled out, Jesus, when is this going to happen? You know what Jesus said? He said, today. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. He didn't say, y'all can wait till tomorrow. He didn't say, let's form a committee to study about this. He said, today. So we can't keep coasting on the memory of past glory and we can't live on a dream about tomorrow alone. 
we can only live in this moment and be faithful to God with the church's help today. And that's what church means to me. I mean, it helps me to live as a sinner trying to follow Jesus in this place between nostalgia and hope, in this place called today. Amen. Whenever a word is offered, an opportunity to respond is given. That might mean showing to others that you've decided to turn your will and life over to God or to join our church this morning. Whatever it is, we pray with you and we sing with you. We'll sing a hymn, 498, and it's one of those hymns that for me is a nostalgia hymn. You might see a little tear well up in my eye, but I'm challenging myself and I challenge you to listen for nostalgia, listen for hope, to listen for how the hymn calls you to faithfulness today. As we sing 498, we stand.
it all comes down to a story that, uh, that catches us up in it and caught Daniel up in it today and carries us all through the years for the gift of self and sermon on song. I'm glad. Whenever a family gathers around a table, there's always news to share. Some of the news is that we've been church in a various group of places this week. A bunch of you were at church over at Virginia and J.B. Gilbert's house yesterday, slipping and sliding and running around the big A cut in the lawn. Twenty-something uh, parents and kids and all were there, and, and church happened. Some happened at church uh, last week as we were doing the habitat build, and then again yesterday at the habitat build. But as we nailed nails and, and hammered boards, and you read this week in the write-ups and pictures that you saw about our habitat interfaith build, uh, church happens there. It'll happen again in just a few weeks on September the 9th as we have our blessing of the backpacks and also the eating of the cheese grits. You know, it's the day when you bring all of those good uh, breakfast foods. We celebrate the return, the doing of church after Labor Day, and then we bless the backpacks and whatever else you brought in the worship service. We pray for one another. Several of you have been through difficult times this week with health and medical crises, other emotional crises and financial difficulties, but whatever you've been through, it is something about the presence of God and the Holy Spirit and the presence of our church that we pray for one another and hold one another in prayer. This time I'm going to call on Kurt Thomas, if you would uh, come and get ready to give us the gift of song again. Some of the music that Kurt has sung, he's made available on various CDs, and I think this is one of the ones that you and um, Mike Gregg had done a few years ago, that as a body, uh, we gather around a gold-plated cross or a uh, painted cross, but the one Jesus died on was old and rugged, and that's what he's going to sing about. And so... Let us listen to this good, good gift of song as we receive these tithes and offerings. On a hill far ahead stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross with the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. And I cherish the old rugged cross until my trophies at last I lay. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. To the old rugged cross, I will live and be true with shame and reproach gladly bear. And they'll call me someday 
to that home far away where his glory forever I'll share and I'll cherish the hour of the cross until my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a
Now you are the body of Christ. If any of you suffer, the whole body suffers. If any of you rejoice, the whole body rejoices. May we be filled with the courage from the Holy Spirit to be one body. Amen. Thank you.